Welcome to Vampire Month on the Wings Over New Zealand show. I'm your host, Dave Homewood. In this episode, my guest is Maine Hawkins. Maine was one of the RNZF's early vampire pilots. He flew the vampire in New Zealand and in Cyprus, and then in Singapore, where he also flew the Venom. And he went on to fly many other types in the RNZF and with Air New Zealand. Here's Maine. Well, my full name is Maynard Roger Hawkins. I was born and bred in Rangiora, North Canterbury. Yep. Always knew that I was going to fly aeroplanes for my lifestyle. And the amount of flying around North Canterbury during the Second World War was very... Well, there was plenty of it. With Harewood, which is now Christchurch International Airport, of course, a lot of local flying used to go around North Canterbury. The Wigram provided additional training in the multi-engine situation. So it was a case of being seriously disappointed when the war finished and uh, never made it onto course is. So what age were you when the war began? Um, I was born in 1932 and I can recall going to the movie theatre in Rangiora and seeing the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor on the news, I went to Rangiora High School. Did you have a, an ATC squadron there, air training course? Up at Oxford in North Canterbury there was one, yes. And I eventually got a flying scholarship. So that started me flying at Canterbury Aero Club with John Neve and the team that he had with him at the time. And that then led into the Air Force selection process. Got selected for training at Canterbury Aero Club and then went from there down to Tyree, a number one combined course for the CMT, etc. And um, got promoted from there as a cadet pilot up to Wigram as an acting pilot officer. And that's when we started our wings course proper. So what year did you join? 1951. Was, we were due to start early, but the wharf strike came up and messed us around time-wise. So we all ended up just being put on hold while the people in the Air Force already, in the Army and the Navy, they all were taken and used on the wharf 
and um, so we had to wait until towards the end of the year, August, September, to actually start our wings course at Wigram on Harvard's. Okay. So you didn't do any tiger training, you went straight to Harvard's? No, Tiger Michael was my first solo. Oh, yeah. Um, Canterbury Aero Club had um, a number of them, and they were still around in the top dressing role, etc. So, yes, I did Tiger Moth, Miles Magister, and then into Harvard's at Wigram. Okay. So what did you think about the Harvard when you went on to that? Did you enjoy it? Absolutely. Brilliant little aeroplane. If you could fly a Harvard properly, you could fly most things. And how long did that course last? We started in January 52 and graduated November of that year and from number nine conversion course or wings course ready I should say the progress was to a large extent for most of us was to go to vampires because the Vampire had been introduced into the RNZAF and some of the earlier people on it like Jim Shaw, Ron Short and people like that, they had been sort of not so much um, messed around but they had all headed off to Cyprus the first lot of conversion and so myself and a number of the other team members from the wings course when we graduated were posted up to Aharkia for the vampire conversion course. Vampires were good they were easy and pleasure to fly. So they were establishing themselves up at Nicosia in Cyprus and we were getting ready to take their places, which eventually we did. We were all eventually posted away out of New Zealand on either an 18 month or a two and a half year posting overseas. So I ended up in Cyprus, Nicosia. Loved it there, but politically there was a change in emphasis and we were given the role really of guarding the Suez Canal area. So the, what was the reason why New Zealand was first sent to Cyprus? Why did we get involved with the Middle East area? Very good question. But 
they looked upon the Suez Canal and the Red Sea area and the Middle East, um, Israel, um, Lebanon area. It was all in a, an upheaval and we were ready there to safeguard the transit of ships down through the canal. So we spent quite a lot of our time in the canal zone um, at Abbasware in particular. And um, we did a lot of flying around the top end of the Suez Canal into the Mediterranean area. So it was very interesting, but certainly very fulfilling because we were doing a role that the RAF had obviously negotiated with the New Zealand government and we moved straight from the conversion course and squadron, 75 squadron at Ahakia up to Nicosia and um, settled in quite happily there. So the aircraft that you did the conversion on at Ahakia, they would have been brand new at the time, wouldn't they? But you'd only just been introduced. So when you got to Cyprus, were the aircraft you were getting also new or were they secondhand, the, the FB9s? I'll be very subdued and say they were secondhand. The Venom was just starting to dribble out from Germany to the Canal Zone area. Yeah. Um, was six squadron at Habania. So we knew that we were probably going to get an upgrade to Venom. So next thing we knew that we were shifting to Singapore. Okay. So did you, did anyone on the squadron actually get to try out the Venoms uh, or, um, you know, have a go and assess it for the RNZF or? No, we were just told that we were going to get venoms in Singapore. Okay. Okay. The, the British people don't give too much away. Yeah. Well, the RAF doesn't. Um, you were talking about the uh, canal zone and how you um, were protecting that. Were they, was it sort of a reconnaissance patrol to make sure nobody's massing any um, forces around there? Or what, what's, what was the actual flying involved? It was just keeping your presence um, active. So we spent a lot of time around the top end of the Mediterranean. Um, Amman and Jordan, um, Canal Zone with the Meteor Night Fighters, uh, and the 
Australians were in Malta with a squadron. We did flying from Nicosia to Aberswear and then down the south coast of the Mediterranean and into Malta. Um, it was it was more of a presence. We weren't expecting any great trouble. But then what happened, of course, old Colonel Grievous, the Greek, he decided that he was going to take over Nicosia and Cyprus. And so the 1st of April, the suddenly there were loud explosions as they tried to blow up the power um, pylons, etc. Um, it got a little bit tricky because Ledra Street, which was the main street in Nicosia, it suddenly became murder mile because the Greek was very adept at walking up behind a serviceman and just shooting him in the back. Wow. So we weren't unhappy to be moving away to Singapore, but Nicosia was a very nice place to be. Although I saw a TV One program on Nicosia about six weeks ago, and you wouldn't recognize the place. It's been overbuilt, um, holiday camps, etc. It looked like a place had been spoiled. The actual airfield was also the civilian airport, wasn't it? You were sharing yes, it. it was. So, was there any other? Uh, Air Force presence, or was it just your squadron? We were the only really working squadron from the point of view of the ground that we covered. But the armament practice camp for the whole of that Middle East area. Yes, the armament practice camp, every fighter pilot or fighter ground attack pilot had to undergo the full training each year. So we had a good relationship with the armament practice camp people um, who did the target towing and the recording of the rockets and bombing that we did. Really it was just a keep the overall standard up to a good level for the time when it might be just might be um, needed. What were your living conditions like at Nicosia? Very interesting because Nicosia was a walled city from 
going right back to the St. Hilarion Castle, we went back to the Crusaders. But I had a rented house in Nicosia because my wife came up to um, Nicosia to join me. In fact, my oldest son was born in Nicosia, so he's a Cypriot by birth. All right. But like everything in the service, nobody gives you any real reason for your shift, except that it was political and the movement was moving more towards safeguarding Southeast Asia than it was the canal zone. Uh, you almost got out of there at the right time because it all kicked off in the canal in 1956, didn't it? Yes, but that made us very angry because we, we wanted to have been part of that. All right, okay. When I say very angry, it made us a bit, not so much angry as disappointed. Because the canal zone suddenly became a very active zone. And, and so, did you move to Singapore? Yes, you I did. went to Singapore. And when you first arrived there, you, the squadron still had vampires, didn't they? Yes, it did. We, I went to from Nicosia to Singapore on a British troop ship, the Empire Clyde, as some of us did, while the majority of the crew actually went back to Singapore from Cyprus by RNZAF Hastings. So we ended up going from Colonel Grievous and his bunch of thugs to just the same type of situation in Singapore with the upsets there with the Hockley bus riots and it was a very unpleasant arrival situation because we'd gone from one hotspot to another. But the troop ship out from Nicosia to Singapore um, was an interesting situation to be part of because most of the troops on board this troop ship were young I won't say conscript, but more um, people to fill up the situation in Singapore with what was going on up in the Malayan jungle. And that's what we went there for, to try and do something about that. So that's where the venom eventually came in after they were blown out from the UK and it 
was an interesting situation because the whole political scene was changing with Lee Kuan Yew and Singapore and some of his buddies um, moving into hotspot political roles from being in the jungle and very interesting time. But that's where we picked up the venoms, or they were ferried out to us. And um, they were still flying venoms on the squadron when I came home at Christmas time in 65. 65. 56, probably used to be better. 65, no, that I was in teal at that stage. Right, right. So, in the early stages with the, the vampire, were you doing operations? Yes, fire dog. Um, yeah, this is, we were very active there. Dive bombing, level bombing, rocketing, okay. um, 20 millimeter cannoning, liaising with the Army AOP pilots who marked the targets for us. Um, it was very much practical gunnery and bombing. And that was in the Vampire as well as the Venom later? Yes. Okay. So you, so you were correct. We started off with Vampires because they had to shift the Venoms out from Europe. Okay. And then we got involved in active um, armament dropping and firing trying to make an inroad into the communist terrorists in Malaya. And that was very interesting. But it's, it was frustrating from the pilot's point of view because the army AOP officers could mark the campsites for us and we could bomb on the marking so but the trouble is with the Malayan jungle you could never really see your end result so you had to wait for the Gurkhas or one of the other regiments to move in and say yes you a good hit Because the, the trees there could be 100 or 200 feet tall, couldn't they? They are, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I guess you couldn't even really see the target. You just look for the smoke. Yes, as I had relied on the army. Who would, I'd hate to have been wandering around the jungle in Malaya. It was one thing to be sitting in a nice warm little aeroplane 
and dropping a couple of thousand pound bombs and then going off home for a cup of tea. But it was worthwhile. So the Venoms came on stream and the vampires moved out to Hong Kong and eventually the Venoms followed them to Hong Kong. So that was virtually the end of the fighter ground attack role around the Singapore Jehovaru area. So you kept uh, a couple of two seat vampires with the Venoms, didn't you? The uh, T11 vampires? Yes, we had, in Cyprus, we had the media on the squadron because there was no T11 vampire available. But when we went out to Singapore, we got T11 and then we got a later version of it with the bubble canopy and uh, that. So, the Vampire T-11 was a good aeroplane and we did have one in New Zealand and then built up on that. But um, we didn't really use the T-11 in the armament role. It was more instruments flying, type ratings, etc. Right. Okay. Um, were you still there when the Venoms started to get the Kiwi markings on them with the, the black tails and the Kiwis and the, and the diamonds? Well, interestingly enough, that's not how they the camouflage or the markings were initially. The, the rudders had red and white squares on them, right. like a chessboard. Yeah, checkers. Yeah. Um, and I don't know why it was decided to change them over, but it was unnecessary because the red and white tails were our squadron marking and suddenly this all changed and yes and you now got the black white kiwi all the numbers still remained the same of course airframes were given a number when they left the factory and that's what it Remains. Right. So those red and white checkers on the tail had been applied by 14 Squadron, they didn't turn up with the checkers or? I don't know who authorised it or anything like that, but it was just accepted that that was 14 Squadron's marking. Okay. There was another Venom Squadron on Tenga, of course, number 60 Squadron. And they 
were very much aware of our markings and the competition that went with it. They didn't like being beaten by a bunch of Kiwis and we could do that pretty regularly. <laughs> Um, speaking of markings on the aircraft, if I take you back to Cyprus, just recently some slides were found in a, in a collection of vampires in Cyprus. And until then, myself and quite a few other people interested in the history had no idea how much colour that you had on the aircraft. And there were, there were like red or blue on the nose, and then there was on the um, tips of the tails and the, um, I guess the wingtips too, uh, there was the red and the blue, which I guess must have been A and B flight colours. And then some of them had black tails on the rudders, and then some had blue on the, and the, and the tail plane was yellow. Do you remember being that colourful? Because it looks like they're really early on, like probably taken 1952, before you got there. And they've just got lots of different colour on them. And I'd never seen that before. No, I've never seen that either. Okay. It's interesting because there's no no um, white diamonds on the black, you know, the checkerboards that they got later in Cyprus. So they, I don't know whether they, they arrived there like that or um, or whether the squadron put those I colours I can on. only remember two paint schemes and first off, in Nicosia, most of the paint schemes were plain silver yep. with no real change of markings on the fin and rudder. The other one was more of a venom colour was of, um, well, just of camouflage and both the upper and lower area of the main plane in particular. Yep. In one of these photos, one of the vampires in the lineup is completely camouflaged, looking like the Venoms did. So there's quite a mix, an interesting mix. Yes, well, it would be, be a bit confusing because mm. I can't recall that. Yeah, and you said that they were second-hand, and I wonder if they came off various different squadrons and all turned up and various colours and the Kiwis painted them all silver, possibly. It could well have been an X-60 squadron one. Mm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure about those colours, but it's really, it's, it's interesting. And the other thing too, in Cyprus, I've seen photos of a number of them had nicknames or nose art on the, on the vampires. Did you ever, a name written on the side of your aircraft or? My name was written on the side of my aeroplane. Okay. The ground crew boys did it. Okay. You didn't have any sort of um, uh, comic name like, I, I know there's one that was Mulu and there was, um, you know, very just nose art type things like the World War II nose art. No, the, I can't recall anything other than a pretty standard colour scheme, either the full silver colour or the camouflage of the venom. Right, right. 
Were you involved in the operation where 14 Squadron uh, from Cyprus went to various places in Africa showing the flag? Or was that before you got there? That was before I got there. Right. Yeah. Not too long before, but they had done that um, by the time I'd arrived. Okay. So getting back to Singapore now, uh, were you living off station again and your family were there? or I was living in the Serangoon Estate, at the top of Serangoon Road. Okay. I didn't qualify for a service house right. because the bricks were very um, firm on the fact that they didn't like married people under 25. So if you were under 25, you weren't even on the list for a house. Wow. But the RNZAF had sent up a team to Singapore to organise the uh, transfer of the families like my... And Michael, my elder son, was the one who was born in Cyprus. Michael was just coming up to two when we came home Christmas 56. So how long had you done away altogether, Cyprus and Singapore? Two and a half years. But interestingly enough, if I'd been single, hadn't been married, I would have only had an 18-month tour. Okay. How, how did that work? I don't know why. Probably because of the time and effort they'd gone through to cope with the change of people and... Um, just the money involved. Who knows? Who? Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So, what do you remember of the flying the Venom? What What was it like to fly? That's handling that sort of thing. The Venom was much more performance than the Vampire. You could get up to 45,000 feet in the venom. You could roll over and pull through and get supersonic. Where a vampire, the wings would have fallen off the poor old thing. Right. Okay. Well, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but the venom had much more thrust and much better wing design so it could get a higher speed. It had an ejector seat in it if you needed it. And overall was a much more performing aeroplane than the Vampire was. Was it a good platform for um, for the weaponry and bombing and, and Yes, it was. Um, we used to do a lot of air-to-air -air and air-to-ground firing practice on the 
China Rock Range, but it, overall it was just a much more performing aeroplane to fly and give you good satisfaction of performance. Um, in terms of, uh, uh, I, I know that the, the Venoms did a little bit of uh, aerobatic team stuff there. Uh, were you in the aerobatic team in yes, Singapore? Yes, I was. Yeah, I thought you were. And that's, I've got a good photo somewhere, but where I'm not too sure, of the team led by Stu McIntyre. I was number three, so number four changed. Jack Megan was number four for a while, but he didn't last very long in the team. I don't know why, but um, we had a good aerobatic team and um, I enjoyed it very much. I ended up flying as leader of the Central Flying School aerobatic team down at Windrum. Right, yes. Was the was doing aerobatics or, or particularly team aerobatics in the tropics, was it a bit different from doing it in, in our atmosphere? Um, in the heat, did, did it make it different for flying or? No, no noticeable one. Okay. If it depended on the leader, if the leader was good, and you knew exactly what he was going to do. It was simple and straightforward. And luckily, most of the time, Stu McIntyre was a good leader. Occasionally, like in any display, you end up getting a mixed up. But um, overall, the performance was good. What did, what did you guys do for recreation um, outside of work, both in Cyprus and Singapore? What, what did everybody... Cyprus was interesting. The Kyrenia, do you know the geography of Cyprus? Uh, I've got a, a general idea with all of the Middle East countries basically surrounding it, isn't it? Yes, I mean, it's south of Turkey, but from the point of view of access, Kyrenia is a town and harbour on the north coast, and there used to be a fairly active um, sailing team, Singapore, the rugby season, the team from the squadron in there, um, squash, but it wasn't quite the same as um, Cyprus. The squadron had enlarged itself and um, from the point of view of activities, um, 
it wasn't so obvious that there was a squadron too. Right. I guess in Cyprus, being the only guys on the base that were Air Force and all that, you must have become a, a very tight-knit group of people um, in Cyprus, I imagine. Well, most of the team, of course, in Cyprus and in Singapore um, lived away from the station. So, for example, my wife and I lived in Ios Demetrius, a suburb of Nicosia, but we didn't have any neighbour who was British, not that it worried us, yeah. because we had some nice Greek people um, who crossed the road who were very friendly and helpful. But with a young child, um, it did make it a bit difficult to have a social life. Did you get, um, in Singapore, did you get to fly anything other than the Vampire and Venom? I know that in Cyprus you had the Meteor there. Did you fly the Meteor? I flew the Meteor 7 and the Meteor 8. Okay. Were they both on the squadron, those two? No, the Meteor 7 was. The Meteor 8 wasn't. Okay. It was from the target towing flight. For oh. you air-to-air firing, you had... You towed a banner, weighted bar in the front to hold it upright, and you practice high side quarter attacks and low side quarter attacks, and it, it required a, an aeroplane to tow it at a decent speed to make your intercepts worthwhile. So the target towing was done by meteorites and I just happened to be friendly with some of the guys on this unit. Okay. So was there anything like that that you managed to talk your way into flying in Singapore? Any other types? I flew in a lot of aeroplanes and flew them. For example, the Australian number one bomber squadron on the Tenger, they were still flying the Lincolns. Right. So I managed to angle a flight with them. I'd see in my logbook it was a two hour 20 flight. Okay. Um, I flew in a Presswick Pioneer, um, a Sunderland, because number five squadron from Fiji was still flying across for maritime exercises in Salita, which was a naval base. Um, 
but it was more of a passenger. I did get to actually handle them, but I wouldn't say that I had a type rating on them, for example. I'd love to have flown the Lincoln full on and gone on a bombing raid with them because they had a very well organized. Would they go in as a full squadron on a, on a raid? Would there be a lot of aircraft in the air? No, probably two or three. And what about when you guys were making strikes, uh, doing strikes in the in the Venoms or the Vampires, would you go as sort of just four or, or would there be the whole 12 of you? Or how often would there be a big... There'd probably only be four aeroplanes. But you're carrying 2,000 pound bombs. Um, you had to be a bit careful on takeoff what you did, you lined up on the runway, one, two, three, four, and as you rolled, the lead aeroplanes pulled up high, and the two and three, sorry, three and four aeroplanes kept low through the slipstream and jet stream, and then they could pull up. Um, but it wasn't the easiest thing to do properly and with a couple of thousand pound bombs hanging on you when you were a little bit careful. Did the uh, Venoms have, did you have much trouble with starting the Venoms with the cartridge starters? I've heard that they could be cantankerous sometimes. The Venom with the cartridge start? No, they're no trouble. Okay. It was good actually to have the freedom to be able to move around and start and sit before taxi without too many ground crew hanging around. And I don't mean hanging around unkindly, I mean doing the normal um, asbestos blanket over the tailplane. Uh, um, the trolley act to get you turning. Um, where was the venom? You just ready to go, just push the button and the cartridge fires and you're off. Right. Okay. So, would you have that cartridge loaded in? Like if you were going to go somewhere that you knew that you weren't going to have a, a battery cart, would you have that already loaded up so that you can push that button later when you go to restart? Or how did that work? You're you delving into history here today. <laughs> I mean, I was about 22 or 23 there. Yeah. Um, but you had more than one selection. Okay, right. So when you when you came home, did, did you go straight to the um, Central Flying School or was there somewhere between that you ended up getting posted? I went to Central Flying School, but as a pupil, 
um, to get an instructor rating. Okay. So that was back to Wigram and into the Central Flying School course for instructors. And um, then I was posted to flying training squadrons with the wings courses and um, eventually completed the course and ended up with my initial instructor category but I actually ended up at Central Flying School as an instructor so I'd gone through the whole process. I also ended up with an A1 instructor category and I was the only one in the Air Force who had it at that time. Right. Okay. So what did that give you extra over anybody else? All it gives you is the qualification to do a whole lot of instructing. So you do, well, I did everything from Army AOP pilots on the Austin J-5. If um, you go around the various units and check their qualifications and um, give them check rides, it's a whole standard setter. So, so you're like an inspector, making sure everybody is keeping the standards up to the right levels in the squadrons. And the yes, units. and as well as that, you run all the instructor courses. Okay. It's quite a responsibility, I imagine. Yes, it is, because the standard of the unit or the individual or the individuals is very seriously applied and it's easy for standards to fall away if they're not kept up right up to the good instructors being able to instruct but doing it to the correct channels So at that time, at that time when you were at CFS as an instructor, that's when you started doing the aerobatic displays with, with the Harvard team? I originally, I was in the team as a number three, and then um, with a change of personnel in the role at Central Flying School, I was then the lead uh, aerobatic team pilot. And that was a three ship at that time, or was it four? Four. Up to Tony Williams used to fly as a number four, mostly to take photographs with the um, camera crew. 
but there, there were always there were three of us at least. Okay. Do you remember any memorable displays that you did? What were the most interesting uh, air shows or, or flypasts or anything? Opening of Wellington Airport was the roughest bit of flying, turbulent-wise, and that, and the hardest bloody time I've ever put into an aeroplane. I think trying to stick to Ted Arundel, who was the leader at that stage, but it was hard work. But the interesting one that I did was Rangiora Airfield was officially opened. It had been in operation for a while, but hadn't been officially opened. And the Central Flying School team was um, tasked with doing a display up at Rangiora, which of course um, I didn't know whether I really wanted to do it or not, but then I thought, well, why not? I'd help build the strip, and so there I am doing all this fancy flying with people I'd been to high school with and primary school was so it was interesting people couldn't believe Maine Hawkins was leading the team <laughs> that's great I, I think um, the team went back a few a few times there like every year for a while they had an open day did you do it just the once or did you go back a few times I did my fair share from um, Matter Matter, Gisborne, Wangarei, Kaitaia. Um, when I say I, I'm really talking Alan Dyer, who was my number two, and Barry Gravel, who was my number three. Um, they were very good pilots, and um, you could trust them implicitly. And they were also instructing with me on Central Flying School. So it, it's easy when you've got a good team. When you've got to watch somebody that you know that you're in trouble or things don't quite work out the right way. Yeah. Did you end up going back onto jets again? Onto the uh, vampires again? Well, I used to fly uh, vampires, I flew Canberra's, um, but only in a check and training situation. Okay. Um, I applied for an instructor's course when I was starting to get organised to come home to New Zealand from Singapore. And so I got what I wanted. I knew that um, I was going to 
been quite a bit of time in training, but that was what I wanted. That's what I wanted to put back into the situation. So I was very happy when I was posted to Wigram to Central Flying School from Singapore. And so did you sort of complete your career there then, uh, instructing most of the, for the rest of the career in the Air Force? Well, I was offered a permanent commission, but I didn't want a permanent commission at that stage because I was a little bit disillusioned with what was going on in some areas. And um, I made up my mind I was going to go to Teal. Okay. So I got accepted by Teal. I finished my last Air Force duty at midnight on the Sunday night of the particular day it was. And um, just nine o'clock the next morning, I was down at Mechanics Bay starting my electric course. Right. So it was a very painless shift from Air Force to civil training. But in actual fact, because of the way the training was being done, um, it really followed an Air Force type of pattern. And so um, I moved back into training role for Teal uh, not too long way down the path of my civil career. Okay. So when you're in the training role with Teal, were you also flying regular routes or were you only training? Oh no, you're flying regular routes all the time. So what did you think of the Electra? The Electra, beautiful aeroplane. It would have been the biggest thing you'd flown up to then, I guess. Well, of course it was the Electra, then the DC-8, then the DC-10, then the 7, from the DC-10 that really put it well straight on to the um, 747. And then I did the type rating for the 767 and the 777. Um, so I did a lot of them. Did a couple of times up to Seattle with Boeing to do the appropriate course for the aeroplane. So um, it, it developed very quickly, really. Did you have a favorite out of all of those airliners? DC-10. Beautiful aeroplane. Do you think it's sad that they uh, left the service so early and they, they weren't, weren't around for long, were they? 
Well, Erebus killed that aeroplane. Yeah. Did you fly down to the Antarctic? Did you do one of those trips? I did the first company trip down there. Right. I was training manager at that stage. So I don't know who chose me, but somebody picked my name out of the hat and um, I flew down there um, very happily, knew exactly where I was going and what I was doing and knew exactly what I'd been told I could do and not do. That would have been quite something, I guess. It was critical and it was, I, I, I won't say it because I, I get so angry when I think of the stupidity of certain people. I ended up my flying career with Singapore Airlines and they were an interesting company to work for but boy they certainly had some wonderful sectors to fly and I went to places with Singapore that I'd never have seen otherwise. Places like Vienna, Antwerp, Manchester, Alaska. Um, that's just a few that quickly come to mind because every trip was a new destination and it was brilliant. So what year did you retire? Um, 92 it must have been. Okay. Um, I had to retire from Air New Zealand at 55. But with Singapore, I didn't have to retire until I was 60. So I was born in 1932. So I came home pretty well right on my birthday in 92. Okay. And then after that, did you do any other kind of flying? Any, uh, you know, recreational flying or anything like that? No, I decided that once I turned 60, it was time to concentrate. Yeah, so um, do any other memories of uh, flying in the Air Force come to mind? Did you ever have any accidents or um, did you were you invo involved in anything interesting that happened or any interesting missions? No, I must be dull and boring because <laughs> I didn't have too many problems. You come across the usual people who don't like you in the Air Force. Yeah. Well, 
therefore she had to put it up that you're not going to be liked by everybody. So do the best you can and go for it. But do you remember, um, were you still in Singapore when there was a couple of ejections? Uh, Mike Palmer was the first one that ejected. And then Jeff Hubbard also ejected. Do you remember those incidents? I remember the incidents. I left Singapore when Mike Palmer ejected. He ejected because the ground crew had been working on his aeroplane and they had locked the fuel off. And they hadn't reorganized the fuel supply. He just ran out of fuel. He had fuel on the aeroplane, but he was over the Johor Baru Strait, as I remember. Yeah. And just not enough fuel was available to even make it back to Tenga. Right. Wow, that's unlucky. I felt sorry for the ground crew boy who had made the mistake because he was a good guy. But good guys make mistakes too. So you have to be just that much more careful. It's true. Hmm. Uh, I have been told that um, there was quite a a stream of venoms coming because you were getting them second hand and they'd wear out fairly fast and then new ones would have to replace them or new second hand ones and um, the worn out ones would be parked up ready to be scrapped no they were passed on up to Hong Kong ah okay okay so someone else would get them third hand yeah <laughs> number eight squadron okay Right. Yeah, the, the the thing I'd been told was that they were parked up and some of the Kiwis would souvenir bits off them and that, but obviously not if they were... Well, I don't know how long they lasted up in Hong Kong, but as I was saying to you before, the, the shuttle goes all the way out from Europe to Hong Kong. And finally, when they finished in Hong Kong, pushed into the tide, okay. figuratively speaking. There's nowhere else to push the poor buggers. Yeah. What was the range like on the Venom? Well, it depended, of course, what altitude you were going at. But you were comfortably looking at a an altitude of 40,000 feet, but you could get it up to 45,000. And from the point of view of performance and endurance, um, yes, it was comfortable in an hour for hour 15, just with normal fuel loading. Remember, you've got the two big tanks on the wingtips. Mm -hmm. yep. um, so 
though they were much better than the vampire. That must have been quite a mission for them to be ferried out from Britain, flown out from Britain. There must have been a lot of stops along the way, I imagine. Oh, they were. Yes, you did right. Yeah. Would have been interesting. <laughs> Good trip. The saddest sight I saw in Singapore, though, was a bow fighter that had swung off the runway and collapsed the undercarriage. And that broke my heart. I'd love to have flown that aeroplane. I was going to fly a mosquito with Max Skeets, a New Zealander flying out of Salita, but he got recalled back to Salita from our hard standing area. Okay. Required, he was a photographic reconnaissance pilot and he said, it's all right, man, because I'm going to test fly the dual mozzie in a few days time. I'll give you a call and you can come with me. For some unknown reason, we didn't make the connection um, time-wise, but Max was going to do the test anyhow, but he had a swing on takeoff also and um, wrote the poor old dual mosquito off and so there was my chance to be in a least flown in a mosquito. Yeah. I loved it. Oh, that's a shame. But I guess that some of the guys on your squadron, the senior guys, particularly when you were in Cyprus, there must have been a few World War II guys still around. Um, you know, the older guys in the squadron, the CO, and they would have they would have flown in the war, wouldn't they? Yes, there was still the overflow into the from post-war um, air crew. Yeah, Charlie Kelly. Uh, Wigram was an instructor. He had a DSO ribbon. Okay. The only one I've seen in action. A nice guy with it. And um, yes, there was still the odd AFC and DFC um, proudly displayed. Yeah. I think. Uh, Nelson Bright was your CO, wasn't he? Nelson Hastings Bright was a great boss. I had the most respect for that man. He had hard boots to fill with Max Hope. Max Hope liked to be known as Mr. Squadron, but Nelson Bright was a better man to lead the squadron than Max Hope was. Okay. And I, I know that Nelson had been in 75 Squadron flying Lancasters 
uh, during the war. Yeah, so he had a bit of uh, experience there. He certainly did, and he had the leadership to go with it. And what's more, his dear wife comes from Rangiora. Ah. <laughs> Do you guys, um, or or did you have reunions and that sort of thing over the years? Yes, had two or three. Some of them I went to, some of them I didn't, for various reasons. But um, they were they were worthwhile renewing people you hadn't seen for years. There's a lot of the boys on the ground had already left the airport. Um, it was good to catch up with some of those boys. Do you uh, keep in touch with 14 Squadron now? Do they ever get in touch and anything like that? No. I guess you're probably amongst the most senior um, still with us from 14 Squadron. I don't think there's any of the wartime guys from 14 Squadron left, so... No, I don't think there were any ex-wartime pilots in 14 Squadron um, when I was involved with it at all. Mm. Yeah. Oh, well, um, thank you very much. That was the Wings Over New Zealand show with Dave Homewood.